Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. There's a guy named Jonathan Melton. He's a Raleigh City Councilman. And he put out a tweet. I guess there's some sort of a Raleigh Magazine story about the e-bike program, the incentive program, (laughs) which it's a voucher program. And we got our own Charlotte Mayor Pro Tem who is uh, celebrating this touting this, the e-bike program, how progressive it is. It's a voucher program. It, they're vouchers. Here's a voucher. Go buy yourself an e-bike. You know what an e-bike is, right? Elect- the electric bicycle. It's like a, it's a bike with a little battery on it and motor. and I think you can pedal it too, but it's, it looks more like a bicycle than like a scooter or anything. And they're fine if you want to, you know, cruise around the local area. I look at it like a golf cart in the neighborhood, you know, except for just one person, maybe two or one person and a cat. I've seen the videos. I mean, they're usually from like the Philippines, but they're adorable. So they're offering vouchers. These Democrats up in Raleigh, they offer the vouchers. So I guess those vouchers are okay, but not the school vouchers, right? All right, Los Angeles, maybe a glimmer of hope for L.A. I'm not sure yet. I don't think anybody can be certain at this point, but there's a glimmer of hope for L.A. In fighting the mass retail theft. Right, One of the things that these uh, district attorneys all around America, uh, largely funded through George Soros operations, and yes, I said his name, but he's been funding these election campaigns Relatively cheap, right? I mean, he spent years and years, Soros did, and his uh, various organizations, they spent years and years funding elections at, you know, the national level, Congress, Senate, President, that sort of thing. And just recently, within the last, I don't know, five or six years, they started funding these DA races and sheriff's races. And they realized they can get more bang for the buck at these lower levels and have way more impact in dismantling the institutions in civil society. And then when you create these problems, you then have the population clamoring for the solutions, which you just also happen to offer, which just so happen to be more control for Democrats and leftists. I'm sure it's complete coincidence that the very problems created by leftists are then solved, quote-unquote, by leftism. Spoiler alert, they don't actually get solved. But the problems that I think we're at this sort of we're, we're at this tipping point where people are are seeing these videos. They're all over the place. These hordes of people that storm into businesses, loot the place and leave. And sometimes not even with any kind of sense of urgency. They just kind of stroll out the door with shopping carts filled with merchandise. I've seen a couple from like the home improvement stores. You got corporate policies that not just forbid employees from stopping these shoplifters, 
these thieves, but also that actually fire the employees if they try to engage with the shoplifters, these thieves. So mass retail theft, it's been on the rise in cities around the country, particularly California. Is it changing in Los Angeles? Not sure. Jazz Shaw at HotAir.com says the city recently set up a retail theft task force, the RTTF, or as I call it, the RTTF. It's organized between the L.A. County Sheriff's Office and the LAPD, and they began investigating mass looting at the Nike Community Store in East L.A. Over the weekend, they actually arrested 10 people. They made, first off, they made arrests for thievery, for shoplifting. That in and of itself makes it newsworthy, sort of like a man bites dog story in today's era. Also, they returned thousands of dollars worth of stolen goods to the store. So Jazz Shaw asks, is the tide beginning to shift? Or was this a one-off event intended to generate some good headlines? I'm guessing that one, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Ten looters. Four of them charged with felonies. The rest, I guess, treated as misdemeanors. Not sure. Two of the suspects were found to have outstanding arrest warrants. The task force claimed to have identified two criminal street gangs that were involved in the looting attacks. Now, if this is a one-time operation, nothing's going to change, right? If the six looters who sound like they're going to face the misdemeanor charges, if they have, you know, if they're found with less than $1,000 worth of merchandise, then they're not even allowed to be locked up for that, thanks to state law. And then you have to find a prosecutor who's willing to actually press charges and put them in front of a judge. The best intentions of the police do not add up to much if some liberal DA just springs them all immediately. Having that situation change is the only way California is going to turn its mass looting and gang problems around. Laws need to be repealed so that serious theft is treated as a serious crime that can bring serious jail time, particularly for repeat offenders. This is so critical to maintaining the fabric of a society. One such as ours requires a level of trust. Right. If if you are worried constantly about being burglarized, being robbed, whatever, you are not going to engage in commerce. You're not going to leave your property. Right. You're not going to open a store. Why would you? If if anybody can come in, steal anything they want, strip you clean and you can't do anything. And now, by the way, like you've got businesses that can't get insurance anymore. Why would you ever open up a business? Soft on crime, Soros friendly DAs and prosecutors need to be recalled and replaced, and people who will at least with people who will at least make an effort to take back the streets and tame the gangs. Going to need new lawmakers too at the state level, local level, and that means waiting for the current election cycle to conclude, and hoping that new voting patterns will emerge and emerge quickly. We shall see, though. More funding for law enforcement will be needed, and that'll require the support of the voters as well. So. While this is a good sign, it's a good story. They made a bust of some mass looters. That's a good sign. I'm not holding my breath. 
Washington Examiner. They've got a story. A nationwide retail theft epidemic cost the United States close to $100 billion in 2021. I suspect it's gotten worse since then. Stores are being forced to raise prices or close shop. Insurers are refusing to help, and smaller mom-and-pop stores are being left behind. The Washington Examiner has been doing a series. Uh, They've just put out part two. It's called Mayhem on Main Street, and part two focuses on the role of cartels. Mexican cartels. Did you know that they're behind the spike in organized retail crime? They are deeply entrenched in every level of the process. That, according to the federal government's chief investigative agency, retailers nationwide sustained nearly $100 billion worth of losses in 21, the highest year on record. That, according to the National Retail Federation report that was published last September, the growing number of cartel-run theft rings around the country drove the figure up from $70 billion in 2019 to $100 billion in 21. And a lot of the criminal rings orchestrating these thefts are also involved in other serious criminal activity, such as human trafficking, narcotics trafficking, weapons trafficking. That, according to Steve Francis, the uh, acting executive associate director for Homeland Security Investigations. 80% of retailers polled nationwide reported an increase in merchandise stolen in 2022, according to the National Retail Federation. 80%. Have you had enough? Dean, welcome to the program. Hello, Dean. Hi, Pete. How are you doing today? Hey, I am all right. Yeah, you sound really good. Thank you. Um, You were talking about the theft and all the, you know, in businesses and Mm. how huge it is and that. Uh, To me, I I agree with everything you say, but I think it's more societal because I I think businesses are just as anyone. And I can give you some examples if you. Businesses are as complicit as anyone? As anyone. I mean, the smash and grabs get the headlines. But, you know, that's that's a one-time thing. And, I mean, but, uh, what I see changing in business is I know a lot of the big boxes now, they either have no security or they have security but with, with no teeth, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, don't confront them, don't mm-hmm. stop them, don't do anything. I mean... It's a different world. We all know this now out there. So what? So why would the so why would the business do that? Why would the business no longer have security? Why would they tell their employees do not engage with looters? I I I think it's you know I, I want to if you want to say it's the government and it's the tone tone that they set. Yes, maybe, but I think it's the mm-hmm. easy way out for businesses. I think they're more they're more bottom line. Driven, you know. You know well, 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 all right, no, hang, no, Dean, hang on. Let, let, I'm going to go back to the question: Why would businesses yeah. not try to stop the shoplifting? And you said it's it's their own choice and it has to do with the bottom line. First off, that's not true because the bottom line is suffering. They're having to close stores. They're losing billions and billions of dollars. That's from the businesses, so it's not a good thing for them. So why again? So we come back to then. Why would they not engage with the looters? Why would they not try to prevent the theft? I, I, I could say that it's, it's, 
it's less costly to tolerate the theft than it is to do something about it. What is that? And so what is the cost of doing something about it? Well, the, the cost is uh, prosecuting, going through, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. It's very costly now to prosecute. That's the, sta- the, the business doesn't pay those costs. No, the business doesn't, the business doesn't pay the cost of prosecution. The government does. The state does, right? They're the ones prosecuting. But they'll, they'll fight, but won't they need an attorney, won't the victim get an attorney to fight it, and then they'll, they'll go to prosecute? I know it was very costly to prosecute, you know, shoplifters for the company. No, it's, um, the company is, the, the company has, the company's not doing the prosecution. These are criminal cases, so the prosecution would be on the state side of the ledger. Here's the thing. The reason why the companies have told their employees, do not try to interdict, right? Don't don't confront, don't do anything about it is a couple reasons. Number one is that if they do, they're not going to get prosecuted anyway. So all you're doing is running the risk of getting hurt. And if the employee gets hurt, then the employee will sue the company. So it's it's defensive. It's it's a it's a, a legal defense, right? It's it don't engage with the looters because they're not going to get punished, and all you're going to do is get hurt. And if you get hurt, we're afraid that you're going to sue us, and so then we lose money. So better to just let them run away with all of our stuff and all of the money that we lose, and then we'll eventually close the store down. That's the problem. Dean, I appreciate the call. The, the businesses, I don't think, are as complicit as the government at all in this. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings education and vendors from all over to help people do just that. I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Quick reminder, if you get the podcast on Stitcher, that platform, well, the app and the website, including the premium service, It's all ending operations today. So after today, listeners will no longer be able to access the show on Stitcher. Um, They're going to be redirected to their sister app, Pandora. So just a heads up, uh, if you uh, use Stitcher to listen to the podcast, any podcast, you're going to get redirected or you need to find uh, another podcast platform. Let me go over here to Ruth. Welcome to the program. Ruth, how are you? I'm good. A long-time listener, Pete. Well, thank you. First, first, let me just say, we miss you so much in Asheville. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> it is just bad without you. Um, <laughs> well, let's be fair. It was probably pretty bad while I was there, too. I mean, that's... <laughs> the, the replacement is Chad Nesbitt, and it has just been sad. Wait, what? Is, Wait, hang on a second. No, he's not on the radio, but he's kind of filling, trying to fill the gap that that you. Oh so, no! Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, it's sad. But that being said, um, you were talking with a previous caller about why you know uh, stores are not allowing their clerks to stop people from stealing and. 
what you have to remember is these clerks are usually 130-pound women. You know, to take on a 230-pound dude running out with a bunch of designer purses, somebody's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not going to be the dude with the uh, designer purses. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the 130-pound clerk. And if, you know, he were to punch her in the face, slam her to the ground, you know, break her, break her you know, eye sockets or knock out her teeth, under, under the rules, the employer has to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So if you're an employer, you've got to think, okay, do I want to lose the designer? I'm going to lose something. So do I want to lose the designer purses? Or do I want to lose my employee for a couple months and pay her medical bills? Does that also, does that then accrue to the detriment of the company if they get lots of claims for workers' comp? I mean, it, it adds up. Yeah. If your employees are constantly getting punched in the face and knocked out and in the ER, yeah, that's going to add up in cost. Right. So, You're, well, and I mean, also, would they raise your rates? Like with uh, like unemployment yeah, insurance, yeah. for example. Yes, yes. Your your rates are based on the risk of the job. So, like a a roofer is going to have the highest rate. Right. So, um, but yeah, that that that's an economic reason. Other than, I, I think you're right that some of it is they don't want to be you know caught on, you know the the gotcha cam with uh, oh we were you know rude to or disrespectful to someone who was stealing from us, you know, because there is a, a backlash that can come from that. But there's also an economic reason. Mm-hmm. And, and the economic reason is to not have to pay the medical expenses of injured employees. Right. And so, well, so the other, um, the other, it goes part and parcel with that is that the companies are not only just telling their employees not to engage, but they're also telling them not even to call the police. No, that's stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and that's been, and, yeah, they don't want the negative pub, uh, publicity, but some of these stories are getting hit multiple times a week by the same thieves. Right. Right. So I can't, yeah. And they're I, not going to have a store anymore. They're not going to have a store anymore. Right. They're, yeah. I know that's exactly what's happening and it's going to happen in, in a lot of these areas. And then that's the doom loop that we were talking about last hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ruth, it was great to talk with you. Thanks for calling. Hope uh, okay. uh, hope you uh, you know can survive up there in the mountains. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thank you, Ruth. That's uh, Ruth from Western North Carolina. No, they did not replace me with some guy in Asheville. He's not on the radio. <laughs> I know who she's talking about. I'm not going to... Yeah, like I've already said his name. I don't need to say his name anymore. But um, now this was the former Republican Party chairman up in uh, Asheville who uh, had a bit of a run-in with on a couple of occasions. Look at what he said. He said that dropping a possum for New Year's Eve celebrations was a centuries-long tradition in Appalachia. Lowering a possum, like they lower the... The Times Square ball, you know, or the pickle at Mount Olive. Like he said, that was a centuries long tradition in Appalachia. And I said that that doesn't make any sense. Because like they didn't even have the crane operations and plexiglass that you put this thing in. They had a live possum. They used to drop this thing and lower it down. He said, oh, Pete's making fun of Appalachian culture. We've been doing this for centuries. And my producer, who is from Asheville at the time, and his family actually traces back to the Mayflower, <laughs> he assured me that is not the case. It was actually started as a publicity stunt about 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> That's, that, was the, yeah, that was the impetus. Anyway, anyway. Um, 
John says, Pete, I think businesses don't engage looters because of liability and lawsuits. Precisely. Right. And there's no there's zero expectation that they're going to face any kind of punishment. So then the guy comes back in and when they know there's no punishment, they are free to do whatever they want. Right. What stops somebody from assaulting an employee on the way out? This we would never have thought of this. Right. When I was when I was growing up and that's like just, you know, five years ago when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, what? No, all right, 10 years ago, tops. I, we would never have thought about assaulting an employee. But if there's no repercussions for anything, if, if you're not going to get charged with the assault and it's not going to get an elevated penalty while it's in the commission of another crime, right? You've lowered the cost of entry into the criminal world. Meanwhile, you got Mexican cartels that are behind the spike in the organized retail crime rings. This according to an expose by the Washington Examiner. No sub-industry of retail is exempt. A spokeswoman for the Home Improvement Corporation, Home Depot, said the most targeted items have been wire and wiring devices, power tools, home automation products. When stores lock them up, it just prompts the thieves to focus on stealing other high-ticket items. There's also a toll on the federal and state governments. Costs them $15 billion in lost tax revenue, and that doesn't even include the lost sales taxes. Additionally, the average family will fork over an extra $500 a year to cover the rising costs of goods as companies increase their prices to make up for these stolen goods. The type of mass theft seen around the nation, particularly since the coronavirus pandemic began, is different than shoplifting, according to Homeland Security. As the pandemic set in, people increasingly pivoted to purchasing items online. And that made it easier to sell stolen goods. That's what's driving this. COVID. Let's put this on the other side of the ledger now, shall we? The rise in retail theft and the Mexican cartels swooping into this vacuum. I'll, I'll walk you through the process in a minute. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Let me finish this. Uh, You could read it, by the way, at the Washington Examiner's website, washingtonexaminer.com. Headline, Boosters, Fencers, and Cleaners Inside Mexican Cartel's Newest Criminal Enterprise of Organized Retail Theft. They're involved. The cartels are involved in every level of retail crime, from in-store theft and listing items in online marketplaces to shipping stolen merch worldwide and using U.S. financial institutions to hold their profits. According to the Homeland Security investigation, quote, boosters travel in crews throughout the country, utilizing aliases, rental vehicles, and tools such as booster bags and illegally acquired security keys to steal high-value merchandise. 
Stolen items are then handed over to the second person in the theft ring, the fence. The fence buys the merchandise from the booster at a discounted price and will list the item on a number of platforms, including e-commerce websites like eBay and Amazon, as well as social media and wholesale or trading companies. Kansas and Missouri are actually among the top 10 most affected states due to their prime location, according to the Kansas Attorney General, Chris Kobach. Kobach? Kobach. Anyway, the reason is the I-70 corridor. It's become a pipeline not just for drugs, but also for organized retail crime. There is a link between drug trafficking and organized retail crime, he says. The drug addicted often become boosters in order to feed their habits, and some fences recruit them specifically. Knowing that the policy of the corporation prohibits staff from stopping them, they become brazen, and that increases violence, with boosters sometimes assaulting or even using pepper spray against store personnel who try to intervene. Boosters, these are the thieves, they boost the stuff, right? They will hit the same specific store with impunity, sometimes as frequently as two to three times per week. The final two steps in the theft cycle are left to the cleaners, whose job is to disguise the origins of stolen merchandise and professional money launderers who funnel the profits. This summer, Congress cracked down on items sold on retail sites, including Amazon and eBay. It was called the Inform Consumers Act. It was passed in June. It's been the biggest step forward for retailers and law enforcement. The Federal Trade Commission issued a warning to online sellers that it would, in fact, be cracking down as the law called for. The industry is hopeful that requiring online marketplaces to collect, verify, and disclose information about high-volume third-party sellers that marketplaces will finally evict bad actors from their platforms. Consumers then would be able to shop with more confidence that the products they purchase online are, in fact, legitimate. In a related story, CMPD is getting a system that's going to help investigators with theft cases by tracking what's being sold at the pawn shops. The Charlotte City Council Monday night approved about $158,000 on a contract with Leeds Online LLC, used by hundreds of agencies across the country. It'll let officers keep better tabs on what items are being pawned in local shops. WSOC-TV's report is that state law requires pawn shops to keep records of everything that's sold, but it's not clear how quickly investigators can get access to those uh, records. All right, uh, over to the email. Here we go. This is Jeff talking about the Chapel Hill shooting from the first hour. He says he notes the similarities uh, between... This shooting in the Sarnayev brothers in the Boston Marathon bombing, law enforcement is out front blocking information about the shooter and the victim. We finally have names and background information, and we see the suspect is 34 years old. Another seven years of college down the drain. And we we have another link to the Wuhan University. Yeah, apparently both of the UNC uh, people, the, the suspect and the victim, both came out of Wuhan University, which is connected to that lab. Um, why are these Chinese communists in our schools when they are avowed enemies? They are not our friends and should be expelled from the country. If communism is such a great system to live under, go back and live it at home. Um, in contrast to the suspect in the Florida mass targeted shooting, we knew within 30 minutes of the social media postings of his life and story. My prediction is the Chapel Hill shooting will be old news, uh, within the hour. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, Dennis says, Pete, 
Don't forget to mention, talking about the top Charlotte attraction, um, don't forget to mention that Charlotte has the luxury of offering the one-half-mile trolley car for the homeless to ride. It's air-conditioned and only took six years to build. Plus, it's it's a free tour of Elizabeth Avenue, as well as part of Hawthorne Lane. Just on the verge of becoming a major tourist attraction, all for the meager price in the neighborhood of about $50 million of taxpayer funds. It was it? Wait, was it only $50 million? I thought it was way more than that. Look, Dennis, I appreciate the uh, the wit, but truly, you know, the benefit of the trolley, it, okay, it was not, it doesn't really serve any purpose for, you know, the for the community, for the riders, for economic development or anything like that. The real purpose of the trolley, as we all know, was to help Mayor Anthony Fox beat John Lasseter in that mayoral race. And to that end, it worked like a charm. It got him the east side support that he needed in order to get past John Lasseter, the Republican. And so Anthony Fox became mayor. And then he was able to parlay that vote for him, that election, into his position in the administration as the U.S. Uh, Secretary of, Edu- of uh, uh, Transportation. And then he was able to parlay that into a very cush gig with a, like a train company or a bus company or something. So really, wasn't it worth it? A small price to pay for his future. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>